0: Awesome. All right, well, grab your Bible with me this morning. We are in Romans chapter 8, and uh, I, am, I have to tell you, I'm excited about this. We're halfway through. Romans 8 is halfway. There's 16 chapters, and so Romans 8 is halfway, and I'm excited. And I'm also excited because this is the moment in Romans where the Apostle Paul begins to transition his conversation. And he begins to transition his conversation and his thoughts and his theology and his truth to help us understand how important the Holy Spirit is and how important living in the Spirit and living for Jesus is. Let me ask a question as we begin. Have you ever thought, what's the best way for me to live for Jesus? What's the best way? What should I do? Well, Romans chapter eight is Paul's attempt to help us with that. You'll remember if you've been reading along with us that in chapters one through seven, the Apostle Paul has been sharing with the church in Rome about the Old Testament law that many of them have been followed, following as Jewish people. And then the Jewish people have been trying to get the Gentile people to live in the law now. And the Apostle Paul has been um, really challenging that way of living. And he's been saying things like, you know, the Old Testament law can't save you. Only faith in Jesus can save you. He spent a lot of time talking about how the law can't even help you live right today because the Old Testament law can't break the power of sin like Jesus can and like the Holy Spirit can. In fact, many times the Old Testament law, Paul said, like, let my sinful nature thrive. It sounds awkward, but it did. My sinful nature grabbed a hold of the Old Testament law and manipulated it and made it wrong. And so what Paul really says is laws and rules alone can't help me live the right way with God and with one another in society. Let me give you an example. In the United States, we have thousands of laws and rules. In fact, uh, as far as the number of laws and rules go on the planet, we have one of the most. In our country, we have local laws and county laws and state laws and federal laws, and our country has never been more what? Lawless. (laughs) Like if we have so many laws and so many rules that help us learn how to live with one another, then how come we're struggling with living with one another? (laughs) Because laws and rules don't fix that. External pressure from the outside and saying, hey, follow this rule does not change our lives. What changes our lives is God's Spirit from the inside out because the Holy Spirit changes my heart. The Holy Spirit changes my mind and my thinking. The Holy Spirit helps me change my actions. Have you ever tried to force someone addicted to drugs to go to rehab? It doesn't work very well. Sometimes it works if the individual will allow it to, but most of the time it doesn't work because they don't want to listen to the counselors or follow the advice of someone, not until they voluntarily, on the inside, realize that the addiction is challenging everything in their life, will they go on their own and change. And that's what the Holy Spirit is looking for. See, the only time that we've ever seen entire societies and nations change is when that society and nation change from the inside out. When individuals chose to believe in Jesus as their Savior and let the Holy Spirit change them from the inside out, and thousands and millions of people decided that that we saw entire nations change as they honored God and showed true love and respect for everyone around them, even their enemies. Now, we call this revival. We've seen it happen in history over and over and over again, where nations were completely transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the only way one person can change is from the inside out. The only way a nation can change is when millions of people change from the inside out and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power and work of the Holy Spirit to move inside of them. Now, I believe that this can happen even today. Amen? and i believe that that's what god wants to do and i believe that this is true because i've seen this happen in my own life but the apostle paul is also experienced this as well he spent the beginning of his entire life strictly following the law but then he met jesus he met jesus and he believed in jesus as a savior and he was filled with the holy spirit and now he's writing the letter to the church in rome from a completely new perspective of living in a relationship with God based on the power of the Holy Spirit, not on observing all the Old Testament rules. Now, he's experienced both. He's experienced what it is to live under the law and to obey all of the rules of the law. In fact, Paul said, I was one of those that wanted to follow every rule strictly and, and I believed that it was from God, and I followed them to the letter of the law. But when I got saved, and I started living in the, in the Holy Spirit, I experienced something so far superior, so much better than obeying the Old Testament law. And what he's going to declare in Romans chapter 8 is that living in the Spirit is the best way for any believer in Jesus to live. In fact, what I believe Paul is going to say over and over again is living in the Spirit is awesome. Could you just say that to your neighbor? Turn to your neighbor and say, living in the Spirit is awesome. Go ahead. Now, I also believe that this is extremely important for us today in 2021. It's important for us to understand this because everything around us in our culture is telling us to live out our physical desires and our sinful nature with no boundaries. And so culturally, we've pushed God to the fringe or just literally kicked him out. And we've said we don't believe in spiritual things, we believe in scientific things. And as a result, we've we've ended up in this, this interesting scenario as a culture where everything's kind of imploding now. It's kind of falling in around us because we've chosen to ignore God and his purposes in our lives. And Romans chapter 8 and other chapters like it, 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 5, that teach us what it means to live in the spirit instead of our selfishness and instead of our sinful nature are very important for us as modern day believers when the world around us is saying, go ahead and live in your sinful nature with no boundaries. So this is very important for us. We also have a challenge as we begin to talk about Romans chapter 8. And as I read Romans chapter 8 over and over and over again as I was preparing my message, I ran into a problem. Because we've been, you you've noticed us preaching through each chapter and Certain chapters have been like, oh, there's, there's something really good right here in chapter seven, so I'll preach that and I'll kind of leave out the rest. You can't do that with chapter eight. You know why? Because all of it's so good. Every verse is so good. Like, I, I, there's, there's a lot of verses here in chapter eight, and you could probably preach a message on every single verse. So as I'm preparing, I'm like, there's so many verses that are so good. And what you're also going to know and notice this morning, there's so many verses that stand alone on their own that you've probably heard as a believer for years that are great verses. So how can I pick out just one or two? That's very challenging. So I just picked them all. Is that okay? I picked them all. So I picked, I didn't really pick them all, I picked, but I picked several of the great ones. And I want to talk to you about them this morning. I want to talk about the significant truth that some of these have, and about how living in the Spirit, according to these verses, is important for us today. Now, I'm going to begin with three powerful verses in verses 9 through 11. I'm not going to start at the beginning, because I believe that Paul put the the crux of this chapter in verses 9 through 11. And I want to share a very, very important truth about living in the Spirit, and about how living in the Spirit is awesome according to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. So look at it with me, verses 9 through 11. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Now, these three verses communicate one of the most spectacular and awesome things God has ever thought up or has ever done since creation. And that is that God decided the best way for you and I to live is to have himself live in us. Now, that's pretty profound. That a holy God, an awesome God, would live inside of us. But that's what these three verses reveal. Did you notice it? That five times it talks about God living within you. See, the crux of chapter 8 and the, the crux of understanding how to live in the Spirit is to first understand that when you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. And you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit lives in you, there are some cool advantages to life that are revealed in this text. In fact, there's four things, and if I could, this would be my first message all on its own. And these would be my four points. But I can't preach for an hour and 25 minutes this morning. Well, I could, but you wouldn't like it. So I'll shorten it. Look at the four things that this verse says about the Holy Spirit living in you. That when the Holy Spirit is living in you, number one, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you can say no to ungodliness and say yes to righteousness. Number two, the Spirit gives us life, and you are made right with God. Because of that, you can now live in life instead of death because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Number three, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Did you hear me? The power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That means that whatever you're going to face in your life, you have the power inside you to walk through it. And fourth, God will raise you to eternal life because the Spirit lives within you. Because when God the Father sees you, He doesn't just see you. He sees Jesus and He sees the holiness of the Spirit living within you And therefore, you can enter into eternal life. So Romans 8, 9 through 11 is really the heartbeat of Romans chapter 8 as we discover that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, there are an enormous amount of awesome things that can happen in our life because the Holy Spirit is there. But it also means that you and I have something that we must do in that process, and that is we must let the Holy Spirit lead. We must let the Holy Spirit lead us. Now look at Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 1 with me. Let's go back to verse 1, and we'll look at some important verses. Once we understand that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, then we can see what the Holy Spirit really wants to do, what he wants to say. Here's this great, famous verse Verse 1. So now, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What a great verse. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, then condemnation is not a part of your life. Now, conviction is, Conviction from the Holy Spirit is a part of your life, but not condemnation. See, condemnation says, you're a horrible Christian. There's there's no forgiveness for you. Jesus doesn't love you. There's, There's no grace for your life. You should just give this whole Christian thing up. That's what condemnation says. Because condemnation attacks your identity in Christ. And condemnation, the condemnation from the enemy of your soul, he wants to steal your salvation. He wants to bring you doubt, and he wants to tear down everything that God has done in your life, and so he attacks your identity. Conviction is different. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's work to make us look like Jesus, to be holy. And so the Holy Spirit will say things like, hey, let's work on something in your life so that you can live in the fullness that I have for you. Holy Spirit will also say, I want you to honor Jesus in every area of your life. So let's stop listening to the negativity of the culture and of your sinful nature. The Holy Spirit might also get a little bit deeper and he might say, hey, you know that thing you're doing, it's, it's going to hurt your relationship with Jesus. It's going to hurt your relationship with other people too. And the Holy Spirit will also say, hey, that's a, Mark, that's a sin. You, you don't want to do that. Let's stay away from sin and let's move Holiness. See, conviction will challenge our actions and educate us on morality and holiness. Now, there's something else very powerful that I want to show you that verse 2 says. Verse 2 says something so significant that when you and I understand it, it will probably change the way we look at everything in the world and we understand everything in the world. And verse 2 says that there are two powers at work in the world. Two powers. The first one is this, the power of the life-giving spirit that frees us, and the second is the power of sin that leads to death. These two things are evident in our world, and they are working all the time against each other, and we see them at work, and everything in the world falls into these two categories. Everything in our world is either led by the power of the Spirit that wants to free us, or it's led by the power of sin that leads to death. We can sum up everything in the world into one of those two areas. And so when you and I are living in the Spirit and we look at the world around us in this context, it makes it quite easy to make a decision about how we should be led By the Spirit. Is this action that I'm doing? Is this movie that I'm watching? Is this song that I'm listening to? Is this person that I'm dating? How is this going? Is this helping me be free in the Spirit? Or is this helping me let my sin nature thrive and grow? It's very important to remember that and to understand that none of us are condemned in Christ. Another great verse is verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6 say this, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You know, The Apostle Paul is a really interesting theologian. And as you look at the New Testament and the writers of the New Testament, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul talks a lot about how we think and talks a lot about what we let in to our mind. Because the Apostle Paul knows that so much happens in our mind. He knows that in our mind and our thinking, we formulate what we believe. And what we believe leads to how we live. And so the Apostle Paul talks often about needing to have a transformation of our mind. We're going to head towards the great verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your finger. No, by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. That's the point. But Paul says, how does that start? That starts in your mind. And so Paul says here, one of the most important things for us is to let the Holy Spirit control our thinking, to let the Holy Spirit transform our mind. This verse talks about this because it's so important and because the forces of this world are also trying to control our mind. I don't think it's, it's untrue at all that all of the things we see happening in our culture today that are leading us towards a sinful nature start with a thought, a thought from my phone, a thought from something on Facebook, a thought from a movie or a thought from an educator or a thought from somewhere that gets me off track on who Jesus is. Gets me to stop thinking about how good God is. Gets me to stop thinking about how awesome the Holy Spirit is. And so those things that the enemy of our soul, because he's controlling much of the world, he's constantly wanting our minds to not think about Jesus That was his purpose by saying, I don't want you to talk about God in school anymore. I don't want you to pray to God in school anymore. And all of these things that we're even seeing in our own culture, where we're pushing God out, is the enemy's way of saying, I don't want people in the United States to even think about Jesus anymore. Because if they think about Jesus, then they will have an opportunity for salvation. If they think about Jesus they will understand the goodness of God. If they think about Jesus, they will be able to read the Bible and see how much God loves them. I don't want people in the United States to even think about Jesus. So I'm going to try to control everything in the culture so that you stop thinking about Jesus. Now on the flip side, when we let the Holy Spirit control our mind, this verse says something actually quite extraordinary. This verse says, Letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Wow. Life and peace. When the Holy Spirit leads my mind, I'm full of life and peace. I don't know about you, but when I let Mark lead my mind, you know what I'm full of? Anxiety, worry, depression, frustration, anger. That's the opposite of where God wants me to be. I'm going to say something powerful just for a minute, so listen closely. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that the world in which we live in that has said, I don't want you to think about God would be struggling with so many mental issues. Isn't it interesting today that we are struggling with a multitude of mental issues in our culture today? Tons of them. Mental issues is actually the new hot button. That we're all struggling with mental issues. And maybe that's because as a culture, we've said, I don't want you to think about the one that brings you peace mentally. I don't want you to even think about the one that gives your mind and your brain and your thoughts life. See, our minds are meant to be full of life and peace when we let the Holy Spirit lead our thinking. Romans 8:14, really simple verse, but a very cool one, says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God Are children of God. In other words, one of the indicators that you are a believer in Jesus Christ is that you are letting the Holy Spirit lead your life. This is the mark of a believer in Jesus. You're led by the Spirit. You're not led by the culture around you, you're not led by your own selfishness competing for dominance of your soul. You're not led by friends or peer pressure. You're not led by anything ungodly. You are led by the spirit of the living God that is inside you. And when you and I are led by the spirit of the living God, we will talk different, look different, sound different, treat people different, look at the world different. Everything in our life will be different because our world is focused on sin nature. And God wants us to be focused on the Spirit. And when you and I are led by the Spirit, people will see that and say, what's different about you? And you get to tell them how you live in life and peace in the Spirit. What a great verse, that we are children of God when we are led by the Spirit. Romans eight twenty-six. There's another great verse. By the way, I had to leave out about five other ones in between these two that were pretty awesome. Sorry about that. Verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness for example we don't know what god wants us to pray but the holy spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words now don't raise your hand on this question because it's probably true for all of us but have you ever found yourself in the middle of a very challenging season of life that was so difficult you couldn't even pray i have lots of times In a moment of just raw weakness, I couldn't even pray. In a moment where there was so much inner struggle, all I could do was get on my knees and be quiet before the Lord. Here's what I love about this verse. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. See, the really cool part of this verse is that it declares that the Holy Spirit helps us when we are weak that the Holy Spirit is right in the middle of our deepest, darkest, most challenging days and moments and seasons. The Holy Spirit is right there walking with us. And in many times, you know what it's like. It's not even like he's walking with you. What is he doing? He's carrying you. He's literally carrying you through this moment because you're so, we're so struggling in our own weakness to make it through that the Holy Spirit literally carries us through that moment. He carries us through that struggle. And that's what this verse is communicating, that when you live life in the Spirit, those moments of persecution and struggle and heartache and death and moments that are just gut-wrenching to the core of your soul, the Holy Spirit is right in the middle of that with you. And that is good news. It's much like what David said in the 23rd Psalm, right? Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, what? You are with me. I don't know what the valley of the shadow of death is, but it sounds awful. But what sounds great is God says, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, and I'm taking care of you and I will provide for you, and I will help you talk to your Father through prayer, and I will walk this struggle on this earth with you because I love you. That's what happens when we live in the Spirit. Verse 28 is a very popular verse. Can't leave this one out. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now this verse, through the ages, has been a source of much misinterpretation. So it makes sense that you and I look at this verse a little bit closely so that we don't misinterpret it in our day. Now we have to remember that first, The context of chapter 8 is of a believer in Jesus who is being led by the Spirit in every area of their life. They are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and they've given their life to whatever the Holy Spirit may bring or allow for the glory of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom, and for the gospel. That's the context of this verse. And then the verse declares this that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, it's important that God is working everything for good. Amen? Why is that important? Because I don't know ultimate good. And if I try it on my own, I'll get off track. Anybody else ever got off track? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Just me. I'll raise my hand. I've gotten off track. Why? Because I thought I knew what was good. And I found out in the end, I didn't know what was best. And had I followed God, I wouldn't have only been in the good, I would have been in the best. And what God is saying here is, first of all, let me, let me present something to you. I know what's best. I know what's good. And if you will be led by me, if you will be led by my spirit, then I will always lead you into good. You say, Pastor Mark, but my child just died. How can that be good? Because God always can turn something around because your salvation is the most important thing. And somehow God has the ability to bring everything to a good conclusion because he can work in a way that makes grace available in the most difficult situations in the entire world. And frankly, the truth is we can't and we don't do that. We can't. And we don't. But God can. If we will let him lead, if we will let the Holy Spirit do things, then God says, I can bring a good conclusion to everything in your life, but you will have to trust me. Say, well, Pastor Mark, what if, what if this thing is leading to my death? Well, don't forget, death is the best thing for a Christian. <laughs> death is the absolute best thing. To be in God's presence is the absolute best thing. They so say, I'm going to die. Well, that's a win-win. I'm out of here, and I'm there. That's nothing better. So every conclusion God knows about, and every conclusion God can make real. Now, here's where the real challenge lies, though, okay? Here's where the real challenge lies, and where the real theology happens, and where you and I often get hung up. Where we get hung up is in the word good. God causes everything to work together for the good. See, the biggest challenge in this verse is the word good. What does the word good mean? Does good mean we end up with lots of money, no problems whatsoever, and life is so happy that skittles rain down from rainbows? (laughs) Right? That is not the Western theology. This is Western theology. And in in the West, in Christian Western theology, we have perverted this verse. We've perverted the word good to mean material wealth and a life free from all problems. But nowhere in this book is that ever communicated. Yet we've believed it in the Western Christian culture. But it's not true. True. It's not even close to true. In fact, we're going to get to the bottom of this verse of the chapter and it says in verse 35, "Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Can trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitute, danger, death, all of these things that we experience in life, can they separate us?" And the answer is no, because God knows what's good. See, God's idea of good is you and I and our soul conforming to the image of his son, Jesus. That's good. Now, whatever it takes to get to that good is the greatest good. Wealth is not the greatest good. No problems is not the greatest good. The greatest good for us as humans is to be conformed To the image of Christ. See, good is a stronger faith, a deeper hope, and a life in the Spirit that is focused on the purposes of Jesus, not ourselves. In the end, the greatest good is the completion of our salvation when we leave this earth and find ourselves in the presence of Almighty God. This is the greatest good. And so God puts our life in that context. Not in our context. The other challenge with the word good is you and I only see myopically a situation. God sees our entire life from beginning to end. And he also sees the good that needs to happen, not just in our life, but the good that needs to happen in our family and in our neighbors' lives and in humanity. God sees all of that. And so the good might be for you to walk through a challenging situation and praise Jesus through the whole thing so that the people around you can say, wow, what a strong faith. Maybe I need that. But if we walk through a situation and we're not led by the Spirit and we complain and we whine and we moan and we other things, then that doesn't happen because we're not focused on the good. The last part of this verse is even interesting as well because there's a conditional clause in this verse. Now, one of the things that it, I always find challenging in scripture are conditional clauses because that means I have to do something. <laughs> I just kind of want God to do everything. But in this verse, there's also a conditional clause. At the end of the verse, he says, I, I will bring all things together for good. But then there's the conditional clause, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Say, wait a second. You mean for God to do good things for me and for all of his purposes to turn to good, I have to love him and be called according to his purpose? Yep. Does that mean that people who aren't loving God and who are not truly conformed to his purposes do not get that promise? Yep, that's the condition. See, the condition is that this happens, this promise happens for people that love God, who are truly loving God more than anything else, this promise will apply, who are saying yes to Jesus and are saying, I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind, and I'm loving my neighbor as myself and I am also living out the purposes of God that he has for my life. I'm serving Jesus where he wants me to. I'm, per- I'm purposefully a part of the kingdom. I want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. I'm on board for the purposes of Jesus. I love him, and I'm on board for his purposes. And when we live this way and are led by the Holy Spirit, God says one of my promises will be that I will make everything turn around to good for you. And that is good news. Which leads us to verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's heading to a conclusion here. But in verse 31, he says this. If if the Holy Spirit is living in us, and we know we are not condemned, and our mind is always thinking correctly because we're letting the Holy Spirit help us think right, and he's in the middle of every life's trial and crisis with us, and he's working all things for our good, then what or who could possibly be against us? What or who could possibly come against us? And in particular, his word and his question is who? In other words, could the enemy of your soul do anything against you if you're living this way? And the answer is what? No. No. If I'm not letting condemnation in my life and I'm thinking correctly and in the middle of when the, when the enemy of my soul throws everything at me and I say, bring it on, you can't touch me. I'm living in the spirit. In fact, you want to throw a whole bunch of bad stuff at me? Go for it. God will turn it around for good. When we're living that way, Paul says, who can be against you? Can the enemy of your soul be against you? No, no way. He can't even touch you. And then Paul ends with this powerful set of verses at the end of the chapter. Extremely powerful moment at the end of this chapter where Paul says, when you are a believer in Christ who is living in the Spirit, you're putting aside your sinful nature, you're learning to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and you're saying yes to the Holy Spirit throughout the day, then there is an even greater promise that you will understand, that you will believe something by faith that is extraordinary, and you will live every moment of the day filled with the Spirit until you get to heaven And you will understand the love of Christ in a profound way as you follow the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is awesome. When you live this way, Paul says, you will understand verses 35 and following. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Jesus, our Lord. Amen. When we live in the Spirit, this becomes our reality. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just want to declare right now that you are awesome. We also want to say that we need you We recognize that in the day in which we live, in the nation that you've placed us in, the complexity of our world and the challenges that society globally is throwing against right and your word and your truth is very challenging today. We recognize that that is the day in which we are living and so we need your help. We need you to be strong in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you in right now. Fill us afresh this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might honor you in everything that we do, everything that we say, in every moment that we encounter in this life, in all of the circumstances and situations and the thought processes that are being thrown at us, Lord, we can glorify you and we can love this world as we are filled with the Spirit. So Lord, baptize us in your Spirit. Help us to live in the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit so the world can see that we are your kids, that we love you, and that we are living and walking in the power of God. Jesus, would this be true for all of us? Lord, I I pray that over this next several weeks, as we continue to look at Romans, that we would begin to see over and over again that the Holy Spirit needs to be in this, and the Holy Spirit needs to be in our lives. And we need to open our minds and our hearts to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Help us to live this way, Jesus. We know it's not easy. And so we need your strength. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hopefully I said a couple things to make you think this week. Maybe. Maybe a couple. Well, thanks for coming this morning. It was great to see you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much, and so do Kate and I. Have a great week, and don't forget to pray for us during camp all week, okay? All right. Have a great week.